Howdy, hello, hi y'all. This is Ryan Cano, and I am your host at Sound and Strain, a podcast giving you fresh perspectives on the music industry, a podcast that plays the freshest sounds of music, and a podcast that informs you of the freshest strains of cannabis one can consume. On episode 16, we'll talk about death. We're going to talk about live music coming back. We're going to talk about shitty concert promoters. We're going to talk about changes in the music infrastructure in Austin. We're going to talk about Sony Music Entertainment starting to pay back unrecouped heritage artists. Of course, we will have the strain of the week. Plus, I am going to rant a little bit. So get that bong loaded and get your lighters ready for episode 16 of Sound and Strain. Now let's get this party fucking started. Hello, folks. You know what? That that greeting may be owned by Nate Bargazzi at this point, but hello. How are you doing? It's been a month, actually two months, since we checked in with each other. I think y'all may be used to this somewhat unhinged episode scheduling, and man, I can only say sorry. Real life has been smacking me up, good and bad. So what's been happening the last month or two in my world? Well, a lot of things. Uh, the good is I am still thriving at my new day job working for one of the world's biggest music tech companies. I feel pretty in sync and in the groove with the role I am in. I am a music generalist and you can kind of figure out what company that is for. Uh, it's, you know, LinkedIn exists. You can figure it out. In fact, I am hoping to level up some in that role and get my in you know, get myself in position to climb that ladder. There's no doubt that I have more to offer in terms of, you know, a working individual and could be providing so much more value to that company. So here's hoping, you know, I can get in position to do just that. As you guys know, my personal mantra is about helping artists every single day in every single way. And in my own section of the company, you know, with the limited powers that I currently have, I still believe I am doing that, even, you know, as far down the ladder as I may be. Solving problems, you know, however minor or major they may be, that feels good. You know you're doing something good for an artist at the end of the day, whether they even knew you helped or not. So what else has been going on? Well, the bad and the ugly. Let's talk about it. I had a couple family members die, um, two family members that I loved quite a bit. Uh, you know, the first family member I lost was my uncle William, who's also known as uncle Hookem, like, you know, Hookem horns. Uh, he died from cancer, uh, or cancer kind of related issues. Um, you know, I think he may have had emphysema too. Um, so just, just a lot of ailments and, you know, he was a fighter, especially at the end. Um, he was told, you know, at some point they had six months to live and he went on to live five more years. That dude was given half a year to live the rest of his life, and he carved out an extra four and a half years on top of that. That is inspirational. Now, I remember my uncle as a little kid pretty well. Like He was that family member when we had family get-togethers that always had some cash to throw at us kids when the ice cream truck came around. And you loved that because you would maybe tug on like you know your parents' shirt and he'd be like, ah, not right now, or I don't got any cash. And yet you had an uncle over there who was peeling off, you know, 
three to four bucks for every single kid. And there was a ton of us. So, you know, you always get that, you know, that sense of joy in those memories when you think about him. Um, you got the sense back then knowing uh, Uncle William, Uncle Hookham, that he was a bit wild and kind of a hit with the ladies. You know, he uh, he would occasionally be driving like a classic car or some shit like that. And, you know, he was just an interesting guy that I probably don't even know the half of. And, you know, when I would go back to Houston uh, for the holidays or something like that, uh, me and my mom would drive over to his place and give him some food. Uh, he really loved... He really loved how my mom, you know, cooked beans. Yes, beans. And let me tell you, those those beans are fucking good. So I I, I get it. Um, oh man, those beans, like my God, it's, it's like refried beans with bacon in there, and just you know for flavoring, it's like you know just insane flavor profile uh, inside a very simple and you know feeling meal. Um, my uh, you know my uncle leaves behind three kids. They're you know, all mostly grown, uh, but still very, you know, very young. And it just makes me sad that my cousins are, are missing out on losing their father and they're barely in their 20s. You know, it's a lot to navigate while your parent, one of your parents is missing. So, you know, that hurt a lot. And, you know, all I can say really is, you know, RIP to my uncle Hookham. Uh, you know, I'm going to say this next thing and I, I hope... I hope I put it in the right way because it's it's kind of a nuanced uh, thing. But, uh, you know, when you have an uncle fighting cancer or, you know, you have, you know, a family member that's sort of given a timeline, um, you have this expectation that time is running out. Um, it doesn't make the loss any less real or less hard necessarily, but you at least mentally get to prepare for it while making the most of the time that you have left. And in some ways... That is a gift, just being able to set up your goodbye. I mentioned I had a couple family members die, and, um, you know, our family lost a, a younger family member, too. Uh, give me a second. Um, you know, this family member was named Angel, and, uh, you know, to recognize the importance that she had in my life, we just really have to go back to my childhood. And my childhood was really, uh, it was just interesting in the way that I, I technically didn't have brothers, but I had brothers that were cousins nearly the same age as me. So the year I was born, my mom's uh, sisters had two boys and a girl. So four babies born that year, which is wild as fuck. But then what was also crazy is that nearly three years later or so, my sister's uh, my sister arrived, and a couple of my mom's sisters also delivered daughters too. So my sister basically had unofficial sisters too. You know, technically I only have one sister, but I had, you know, two boy cousins the same age, a girl cousin the same age, and then like three or two more girls um, that are the same age as my sister, essentially. So, um. That's crazy. So, you know, this birth order uh, sort of coupled with how close in proximity that we live to each other really gave us like this unique upbringing. You know, I truly just, I said, again, I truly just have one sister who I love a ton. But, you know, in my mind, I also have a few brothers and sisters who just didn't live with me growing up. And, you know, when Angel passed, it was unexpected and it was a shock. Um, She's younger than me, and uh, 
It's maybe only the second time I can I can remember a younger family member that I grew up with passing. You know, I had a cousin uh, on the other side of the family, on the Kano side of the family, and his name was Taylor, and he passed when I was in um, my very early 30s. Uh, maybe it was my late 20s, but you know, that was it was super heartbreaking and. You know, Taylor was just so creative and musical, and I, you know, I obviously just really connected with him on that level, and you know, that was really hard for the Conos, and this is really no different either. You know, on my mom's side of the family, you know, it, it's just hard because it's like, um, you know, Angel is younger than me, and it affects you because you end up thinking about you know, so many different things. It's like how you, you know, wish you had more time to maybe get to know her as the adult she grew into. I knew her as a kid, but I don't claim to know her into the adult that she became to be, much in the same way that she probably didn't know me in the adult that I became to be. You just also think about how you wish you had more time to maybe get to know her as that adult. You know, just, it's just how tragic life can be. You even selfishly kind of start to think like, you know, what if I'm the next one to die? Or what if my parents are next? You know, the limitations of life just start to collapse on you. And, uh, you know, Angel was a mom with three kids she left behind, uh, as well as a husband. Um, you know, she has her mom and her brother uh, still here. And, you know, on top of Angel passing, you know, her mom, you know, my aunt uh, had a heart attack. And ended up being in a hospital around the time that, you know, my uncle Hookham passed away, who uh, was a brother that my aunt was very close to because they were, you know, born within a few years apart. So, you know, to say that the family is hurting is, is just a big understatement. Uh, you know, now, you know, now our angel is, uh, you know, a literal angel sitting in heaven amongst the stars. Um. You know, so with that, you know, it, you know, it came a lot of introspection and really just taking it easy on myself. And, you know, every time I kind of felt some sort of pressure to create something, to make something, I just really allowed myself to not. I just needed to breathe more than anything and, you know, not really to commit to anything that would be sort of taking me over the edge, so to speak. So I really just minimized my, you know, my focus in terms of what I, you know, was paying attention to. So I've just been, in terms of my free time, I've just been watching a lot of movies and, you know, I am also very grateful that my new corporate job was easy to work with in terms of bereavement. Um, how companies treat you in these situations matters a whole lot. I had a job one time that accused me of lying about my, my lethal, my abulito passing, you know, my fucking grandfather dying just to get out of work to go to South by Southwest. And like, I, you know, I'm still mad about that, to be honest. Fuck you. Uh, what a horrible memory that you've provided me on that. Uh, and it's going to stay. So congrats on that. But yeah, um, how companies treat you during life when it actually matters means a great deal. And I'm very grateful that they were cool uh, during this situation. So, uh, yeah, thank you for getting through that with me. I know you aren't here necessarily to hear all that, uh, but that's where I've been. Working with life, the beauty, and the tragedy of it all. So, hug your close ones tight and appreciate the time you spend with people that you love. And do what you love. In fact, run towards the things that you love. Um, because 
death is going to greet us all. So just make the most of the time that you got. All right, y'all. So I'm I'm a bit uh, I'm in my motions a little bit. Uh, let's I'm gonna go ahead and take a music break a little bit quicker than I anticipated. Let's let's go ahead and listen to a new song uh, that premiered a few days ago on American Songwriters Daily Discovery. This is a track from Seattle indie country artist Miller Campbell. When we get back from the break, I'm going to tell you a fun story about how I even connected with Miller. It's one of my favorite moments in my musical career and my musical journey, and and you'll see why. The song we're about to hear is the lead single, Your Turn to Cry, from Miller Campbell's upcoming sophomore LP. Enjoy. It's too late, it's too late for saying you're sorry. Been too many tears and long nights of lonely. I'm done. Ain't coming back. You're on your own. Good luck with that. It's your turn to cry. Your turn to cry. Thank you. 
that was Miller Campbell with Your Turn to Cry. I believe this is our first country song to play on the podcast, and I'm super glad that it is Miller. Miller Campbell is based in Seattle, uh, in the Seattle area, and she kind of owns her section of the world up there in the Pac Northwest. Uh, Country music is very big out there. I mean, I guess it's big everywhere, but it's very big out there. Lots of country spaces, and there's just a big fan base and hunger for country music. Her angelic and just big vocals really drive her music, and she has garnered a very healthy fan base out there. And she has accomplished in a short time what many musicians aim to do over the course of their career, which is to do music full time. She works hard at her craft, and you know that's just half the battle of what makes a great artist. Uh, so she's a great artist as well as a great person. So we might as well go into one of my favorite music industry stories ever, and this is really about how Miller Campbell came into my life so a bit of background uh, on me that uh, I'm not even sure if I've mentioned this on the show before uh, but my family has some big musical roots and trust me I wish it really helped me in my own personal music career a lot more but uh, it it has not it's just kind of a cool anecdote but uh, I am second cousin uh, with country music legend Glenn Campbell the rhinestone cowboy Galveston a member of the wrecking crew country music hall of fame that guy Brian Wilson's replacement on tour like you know how fucking good you have to be to take brian wilson's place on stage with the beach boys in their prime my god anyways uh so my grandpa which is known to all of glenn's fans out there is uncle boo taught him how to play guitar so i always grew up with the notion that going for a music career was not that crazy of an idea And anytime a family member would sow doubt on your efforts, you easily could retort, well, it worked out pretty well for Glenn, didn't it? That was it. No more shit talking on your music career because we had an immediate example in our family on where it could take you with the right amount of ambition to couple with your talent. So with this little bit of background, let me go ahead and fast forward to me working as the music director and talent buyer for the Pecan Street Festival in Austin, Texas. Uh, The Pecan Street Festival had an agreement that existed before I joined the company uh, with Sonic Bids, which it it basically was to book like three to five artists per festival that applied to play the festival through Sonic Bids. And listen, I know a ton of musicians out there do not care for Sonic Bids, and there's plenty of reasons for that, You know, mainly because people would be offering bad faith quote-unquote opportunities and um you know which were really just revenue producing scams for the most part and i don't know how much of that is sonic biz fault um you know maybe they could police that a little bit better but for the most part you have an easy way to send your electronic press kits to different um you know festivals and clubs and things like that and quite frankly like you know, I couldn't really change the contract the Pecan Street Festival had with them. You know, all I, all I was able to do is really increase like percentage of revenue we were able to keep from applications. So it, yeah, we got us better money for the festival uh, technically. Um, and you know, for me, I really just wanted to use the tool in good faith because I truly wanted someone to wow me when listening to EPKs. Because like, no matter how in the know you are about any particular music genre or music scene, you just can't possibly have your radar on everything and you know a festival like that is about discovery uh, partially because that's the ethos of the festival the other part of it is because of budgetary reasons so you have to really have you know the radar you know your a and r radar has to really be on high alert i really wanted to illuminate my blind spots so to speak and Listen, early in my music uh, booking of that festival, I had found already some amazing artists through Sonic Biz. Uh, Alicia Lani, you know, who is one of the Austin's best R&B artists 
you know, came this way into my life. The first festival I had Alicia on, I moved around big parts of the festival uh, to different time slots so I could fit her in on the fest and in the way that would make sense on stage for her so that the audience would be great. And she was undeniably good. So what happened here is, you know, I'm in the process of booking a festival. I was going about my business, listening to EPKs. I'd, I'd make like a playlist of sorts to listen to uh, the submissions. Uh, so I was going through what what I would like politely call some rough music submissions while washing dishes. Uh, you know, just really passable stuff. And all of a sudden, this really crystal clear big voice with like these nuanced tones and vocal breaks just shot at me so i rushed to my computer like who is this yes and i click in my computer and i noticed that this is a song from an artist named miller campbell and i laughed to myself and thought it'd be funny if she was related to glenn campbell and as i was diving into her uh into her epk uh, I'm reading her bio and it mentions that she's cousins with Glenn Campbell. You know, the Campbell family is big as fuck. So yeah, I read that she's related to him, which means like, holy shit, I'm related to Miller. And then I noticed her publicist at the time was Ever Kip from Tiny Human PR. Uh, some of you people in the industry may know Ever from his time previously doing PR for Barsook Records. He also, uh, I think, did PR for Light in the Attic Records. And then before that, he was with Big Hassle. Um, just all really great companies, you know, to be associated with. Anyways, thing about Ever is he was the publicist for one of my previous bands that I played drums in, uh, the Murdochs, respectively. In fact, Ever kind of laid out how he ran his company and how he did his business as a publicist, and it was a bit of inspiration for me to get started at the Loyalty Firm. As many of you know, the Loyalty Firms first started as uh, as a PR company, and it quickly became more of an artist management company and concert production company. Uh, but that's that that's the origins. So there's just really so many worlds colliding. I have my music industry world colliding. I have family life colliding. So I emailed Ever and was like, you know, can you get me in touch with Miller? And I, I think she even did some minor background check on me to make sure I wasn't just full of shit. You know, we ended up chatting on the phone and that first conversation was like, pretty long and fairly deep and just full of laughs we had like a pretty similar sense of humor that i think kind of runs in the family so it really felt like you know home from the very get-go you know she's a really great artist as well as just a, a great human being with so many stories to tell uh, she's very much led a like a super interesting life so far just an exceptionally smart person dripping with talent so yeah my, my music job led me to discover like not only a new artist but a family member I never knew I had. Uh, just mind-blowing. And it's maybe one of my favorite music industry stories ever in my career just because it combines so much aspects of life, uh, you know, funneled down into one thing. It's like I, I got to meet new family. I got to hear new music and discover a new artist. It, it was like everything you can kind of love happening at once. So I just wanted to go ahead and say hi to Miller and to let her know I'm very excited about the new album and also hi to her parents who are very nice and hospital people. You know, I met them uh, when Miller played the Country Festival and some dates around Texas I had set up for her a few years ago. So it was just a really magical thing to have experience and it's really just very cool to have her in my life. Hope you guys enjoyed that story. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into the meat of episode 16. Let's talk some shop. So live music has returned, especially in Texas. Uh, to be fair, you know, many shitholes that I won't frequent never stopped doing live music or live comedy during the pandemic. So, you know, Texas has been open for, you know, for the most part, kind of the entire time. 
the music industry here self-regulated their return. Like those venues and clubs who made that sacrifice, you know, the correct move to make during a highly infectious pandemic just matters to me. You know, staying closed until a vaccine was pretty common uh, throughout Texas and throughout the United States really was just a smart move, as well as a move that let me know that you give a shit about me as a person. Like, as a person who can come and spend money there, so many concert promoters uh, could not let go during the pandemic. So you'd get these, listen, at best, tone-deaf pushes to attend concerts and to not worry about COVID, shit like that. And really, at worst, the messaging from those promoters just felt like they were really just interested in saving their shitty small business and not giving a damn about public safety in doing so. And it it just bums me out so hard because, listen, I, I can understand the grief that comes with a business shutting down like we all had to. I mean, I definitely know that partially is why the podcast started. But, you know, with the loyalty firm, it almost felt like some sort of distant past in 2020. You know, I am not sure I had a slowdown like that ever since I started the company, like not even in the first year I started and I really didn't know what direction I was going in. These financial losses and yeah, emotional losses were vast in 2020. So I get the grief and the bargaining that comes with being a small business owner in the music industry. But yo, like we can only hold shows if musicians are healthy and alive and we can only bring people to those shows if they can stay healthy and alive. So it just felt like many promoters were just, you know, penny pimping, small time thinkers who didn't give a shit about you or whether you lived or died as long as you paid a $10 cover to see a band during a global fucking pandemic. So yeah, how are you supposed to feel about that? Fuck all those shitty promoters that did that shit. But you know what? Shows are back in Austin. Uh, I think Austin is like the most, has the highest rate of vaccination in Texas. So if if you're going to see a show uh, and want to feel safe, Austin is probably the place to be. So I went to a few shows recently. Uh, One of them was just like an after work happy hour that drifted over into Cheer Up Charlie's. And I love that club. Cheer Up Charlie's is is one of the best places in town. I love Maggie and Tamara and what they've done with that venue. Uh, I love Trish. She's really great at the marketing and booking in there as well. Um, So yeah, I went to Cheer Up Charlie's and there was a DJ performing. And I'm not I'm not trying to insult the DJ uh, when I say this, but to me, it was just kind of like, just like a regular ass DJ show. Like nothing special, just, just dancing and music. But damn y'all, like the vibe in the air was like magnetic. I could feel the energy just kind of get up, not only in like the patio, but just, I could feel it inside me, just kind of waking up, feeling alive. And I hadn't been to a live show in nearly a year and a few months. So maybe 14 months or so. That's the longest break from seeing, you know, a concert in nearly 25 years for me. The next week after that, I wanted to keep those juices going. I went to see the Black Pumas at Stubbs Amphitheater. Those cats played an unprecedented five sold-out nights at Stubbs in a row. Local bands that rise up over the years have played, you know, at most maybe three sold-out shows in a row at Stubbs. And I cannot for the life of me remember a band going five nights sold out there. That's that's enough tickets to sell out the Longhorns Basketball Stadium, uh, which currently is Frank Irwin Center. That's how big of a draw uh, the Black Pumas have become, and it's very deserving. The Black Pumas are on fucking fire. The singer Eric Burton has a voice that instantly draws up memories of Otis Redding. The music is urgent, and it's full of, like, yearning emotion. 
Um, to see Adrian Gasada on guitar, the other official half of the Black Pumas, with a band that features a who's who of Austin players is inspiring. It really only takes a few songs to get you from relative obscurity to stardom. They also didn't, you know, gain their industry traction via TikTok, uh, which seems to be the most kind of common case for unknowns to get traction these days. Uh, their, their attention truly came from hitting the road and just having good-ass songs working itself over people one at a time. When you release, like, three pretty strong singles in a row and you're touring and behind that and hitting the road with people almost as instantly as they're finding you, you really do build up a fan base. A few years ago, I think the frontman of the Black Pumas, um, Eric Bird, he was busking in Austin after moving from Los Angeles. Adrian saw him on, on, the, on the corner singing and playing on the street, and just from there, that's when the story of the Black Pumas start. And I love that story because it's these magical moments, you know, where you connect with someone over music that brings us these big swaths of joy. Uh, what an excellent show they put on. It's highly recommended. You go see them, especially before they become the biggest band in America. Uh, and they, they very well could reach that pinnacle. No hyperbole. Uh, several times in the night when I was watching that show, I was impacted with that thought. It's like the Black Pumas will be the biggest working band in America when they drop that sophomore album. So go catch a show from them as soon as you can before they're going to be too big uh, for you to catch them in an intimate setting. You know, the weird part about being back out at shows was, A, you know not everyone is vaccinated or has had an antibodies test, so that worries you kind of a bit. Like, I ain't trying to be a one-man super spreader. And, you know, for a crowd of 2,200 um, it was a bit nerve-wracking, to be honest. It was I stayed, uh, I don't know, it was a bit too much too soon for integrating back into crowded spaces for me, so I ended up standing on the outskirts of the crowd a bit, like the outer border, so to speak. I felt comfortable there and not nearly as claustrophobic as I probably would have in the middle, in the middle of the crowd, especially as you got closer to the stage, but, you know, that show was packed-pack, like... So I probably would have had many of these like anxious emotions, you know, pre-pandemic. You know, Stubbs is truly a great place to see a band, but usually the crowd there kind of sucks, to be honest, especially if you're kind of seeing a quiet band. Um, I saw Wilco there a few years ago, and I just kept having to move around the amphitheater to find a spot where people would shut the fuck up. Um, but luckily, the Black Pumas are not a quiet band, so it was about as enjoyable as a show as it gets. And so with that, the live music juice is in my body again, and it feels fucking glorious. Uh, to hear music coming out the clubs again is just a great thing. Uh, Austin, as a city, just truly thrives with live events, and the shutdown really made the city feel fairly tame, if not outright boring. Uh, Austin coming back alive again, and... Hey, it, it feels awesome. So if you are vaccinated, uh, please come visit. And if you're, you know, living in this town, come on out because it's, you know, we really need to support and witness just how much exceptional talent this city has bursting at its seams. So some interesting news coming out of Austin, Texas this past few weeks was how local record label Keeled Scales entered a partnership with Polyvinyl Records. So from what I read in the Austin Chronicle, 
Polyvinyl purchased a 25% interest in the label and is taking fulfillment off their hands as well as opening a shared office in town. This is huge. If you've been a fan of the podcast or you've known me outside of this, you've heard me say for years that Austin is the live music capital of the world, but there isn't much industry infrastructure outside of that. So when you visit Los Angeles or even Nashville, you know, you can see that infrastructure everywhere. Record label offices, hey girl, publisher offices, A&R songwriting camps, streaming music companies, musician credit unions. I mean, there's just so many areas of just driving around town where you you see that infrastructure. And I think what we're in Austin, what we're doing is we're seeing the good beginnings of that infrastructure finally coming to town. For one, it's a little bit cheaper to do business here. And two, if you can curate Austin super well, you could probably become one of the biggest labels out there. We're, we've got so much talent out of here that's really just waiting to be discovered and catapulted up. You know, I've lightly joked over the years that I would love to start and run a sub pop south imprint. And you know what? Maybe that really wasn't a joke because I really would love to do that. Um, I mean, if there was a better Texas record label presence here, then an artist like the Black Pumas wouldn't have to go search for a big indie or a major label outside the state to put them up. And the more record labels that sit in that big indie designation, having a presence or office in Austin matters for taking music that is born here out to the masses. So I'm very excited about this development and excited to see if other ambitious record labels start making moves here. You know, we have the artists. We have the live music infrastructure, the event infrastructure. We have a vinyl pressing plant. And we just have a good coterie of, you know, small... We just need like a good coterie of like big record labels and publishers and more of a presence from music streaming companies too to really get Austin to this whole new level, to this whole new plane of existence that I think is available for us. Austin, you know, is leveling up in many other ways as a city, so we may as well see that leveling up happen in the music and entertainment industries. I personally don't know anyone at Keeled Scales, but I loosely know a few folks at Polyvinyl, so congrats to everyone on that partnership. I'm sending y'all my best, and I hope this grows as big as your aspirations. In other music industry news, let's take it over to gigantic money land. I mean, this story is likely just a collection of assholes, but one to keep an eye on. Uh, Scooter Braun, the guy behind Justin Bieber's career, amongst many others, as well as the dude Taylor Swift had beef with over the purchase of her early recording catalog. Uh, Anyhow, Scooter Braun was hit with a $200 million fraud lawsuit from Peter Commissar. I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, who spent two decades at Goldman Sachs and then became the vice chair, chairman of investment uh, banking at Guggenheim Securities. And that's who filed lawsuit in Los Angeles. And nearly simultaneously, Braun filed a petition demanding arbitration. So listen, mo money, mo problems. I don't really have exactly much more to say about that story, but I felt like bringing it up really just in case if you thought you had problems in the music industry. I really highly doubt any of y'all listening to this pod are being sued for defrauding someone of $200 million. So, silver linings, right? (laughs) Moving on. Uh, So the first domino has fallen in a way that I hope we see other major labels follow suit. This is fresh news as I am recording this podcast, so more may come out by the time this posts, but check this out, y'all. On June 11th, Sony Music announced it is disregarding unrecouped balances for heritage catalog artists and will start to pay them. Whoa. Whoa. So for some time, 
influential voices in the industry have really been calling for these unrecouped balances of heritage artists to be written off by record labels. And this would just really see modern day royalty earning for these acts get paid into their pockets rather than being swallowed up by the record label with whom they may have ended dealings decades ago with. So, and and this is especially true in many cases for heritage black artists. So last summer during like the industry-wide discussion surrounding Blackout Tuesday, a veteran U.S. artist manager um, and and and, a, and attorney Ron Sweeney called for the major record label companies to implement a number of new policies in a super strong op-ed that he wrote for uh, Music Business Worldwide (MBW). Now, in that op-ed, Sweeney wrote, "With respect to black artists signed to you prior to the year 2000." that are no longer signed to your companies, zero out those unrecouped royalty balances and let their royalties flow to them so they can support themselves. So SME's landmark new policy under the Artist Ford initiative that they're doing is called Legacy Unrecouped Balance Program. The letter they put out to the industry confirmed um, this, that as part of our continuing focus on developing new financial opportunities for creators, we will no longer apply existing unrecouped balances to artists and participants earnings generated on or after January 1st, 2020 for eligible artists and participants globally signed to SME prior to the year 2000 and have not received an advance from the year 2004 forward. Through this program, we are not modifying existing contracts, but choosing to pay through an existing unrecouped balances to increase the ability of those who qualify to receive more money from uses of their music. So what all this means in practice is... Sony is effectively writing off or at least just disregarding the unrecouped balances going forward for qualifying artists. Wow, 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 wow. This is groundbreaking news amongst the majors, and I hope we see Universal, aka UMG, and Warner Media, aka Warner Brothers Records, do the same as Sony Music Entertainment. If you are thinking about a future as a major music company, it is imperative to your survival in the future to consider your relationship with artists. Artists are the blood in your veins. It's the entire reason that you have your pocket of the industry built up as a record label. So the fact that labels have really just been so predatory and really downright ruthless in their contracts is something that's going to be a part of the past, hopefully. Labels need to be in, be partnership-minded, so... You know, so as to keep all the partners motivated and honest with each other, transparency in pay and in royalties is huge. I think the next step going forward from this is going to be real-time royalty payments. No more waiting for invoices or quarterly checks to scrutinize. Just something where you can log in and see your streaming numbers and physical sales uh, go up in real time and what it means for money in your pocket. And I, I think we're just inching towards that future too. But listen, big big congrats to Sony for taking this initiative. Everyone else in the industry has noticed this and being first to action makes you seem like you give a shit a whole lot more than the other two majors. So it's a pretty brilliant strategy as a company to go forward this way. So, you know, Bravo, the Sony Music Entertainment Company, will be keeping an eye on that. So we make sure that it works very well, but it is uh, very promising news. All right, y'all. Light that bowl, motherfuckers. Let's get into cannabis talk. What is my strain of the week? Hey, wake up the drummer. Tell him to give me a drum roll. Hey, hey, man, wake up. Give me a drum roll. Thank you. So the strain of the week is raspberry diesel. 
I found this strain to be fairly energizing personally. The Raspberry Diesel is a mouth-watering hybrid that crosses Sour Diesel and Sweet Cherry Afghan. Yes, mouth-watering. Buds are kind of light green with, you know, with some berries aroma and it's got those classic diesel undertones too. It's a great strain for extractions especially. Raspberry Diesel will leave you feeling elevated with a cerebral and physical high. Um, I've had tinctures of this strain. Tinctures? How do you say that? Jesus. Can I say words? Uh, I've had tinctures of this strain too, and it tastes incredible. So, you know, using this strain while needing to get shit done is nice. You're, you're relaxed, yet focused, and just not so fucking out of it that you can't do fun, creative stuff that requires you to focus, like writing or making music or making a podcast. So, Raspberry Diesel ranges in potency from about 15 to 21% THC levels with some minimal CBD levels, typically in that 1% to 2% range. This is just a very functional strain. It's definitely for your daytime lineup. This is definitely fueling the episode right now. All right, uh, going to just say my personal piece about this as I change subjects a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit on a rant and, you know, here it is. I, I, I needed to probably say this the last podcast, but it's still happening, so it needs to be said. Stop the Asian hate, you fucks. The stats on crime against Asians during the pandemic is fucking atrocious. It's bullshit. And Americans wanting to make a scapegoat out of Asian people for the COVID-19 virus most of these fucks pretended to not give a shit about. So what is it, you fucking mixed up racist, is if the virus is not real... Why are you acting out against Asians? Even if you think COVID is real, why are you blaming American Asians? It's so fucking dumb. It makes my brain hurt. And all of these instances that have been caught on camera, it is some weak ass, cowardice ass shit. You're a full grown adult man and you're going to come up behind an octogenarian and punch them in the back of the head and then kick them once they are down? Man, Fuck you and your bigoted bullshit. I just have no space for this kind of shit. And it's alarming, disappointing, and straight basura that it even exists in our country. It's fucking garbage. Just so many racists and bigots forget that the point of this country was to be the world's melting pot. And there's just too much of a narrative out there on what America is and what it isn't. Man, if you are living in America and existing here, that is American. Period. People trying to define with many limitations on what this country means, you bigoted fucks are ruining the United States of America. Straight up. And quite frankly, it's time someone turned the tables on you. If you don't like Asians in America, if you don't like Mexicans and blacks in America, maybe it is you who should fucking leave so the rest of us can live our lives in peace. So stop the Asian hates, you fucks. <sighs> Alright, so... That is the episode for this week, my friends. Uh, a lot of emotion here. You know, when's the next episode going to be? I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking about it, so I'm already taking that first step towards, you know, writing out some stuff. And I hope I can knock it out in two weeks or so. You know, I want these episodes to have a recency to them, so I want them to be topical and sort of recent in nature. So there's a sort of a time crunch that comes with making this work right. So hard balance to find, uh, but I can do it. I can figure this out. So anyhow, just chill until the next episode. <laughs> All right. Um, you guys be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Be easy on yourself. Taking us out of this episode is none other than Austin, Texas rapper by way of Temple, Texas, 
Pat G. Pat G is one of my favorite rappers in town. And this track we are about to listen to is from his 2019 LP, Whatever It Takes. This track is called Justice League. You can find Pat G performing all around the country this fall. And if you happen to be coming to Austin for the F1 races, well, you may just be able to happen to see Pat G there. Wink, wink. All right, y'all. Take care. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the summertime. And until the next episode, peace. This the one right here. Chill. Uh, 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 yeah. Check it. So, Pat G's in a house. Uh, and you know I make it bounce. Known to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Up, up and away can never keep me down. Knocking verses out on the first take. Take it to the max. Word to Stephen A. Look in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Faster than a speeding bullet to save Lois Lane. Put your hands up, bob your head right now. Put your hands up, bob your head right now. Put your hands up, bob your head right now. Put your hands up, bob your head right now. Say, Pet G's in a house. 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 My light's bright, even on a dark night. Suits all black. All white, sure, the bat wing is how I take flights Hand-to-hand combat is how I take fights Gotham, my main focus Coin flip, two faces on the same token Odds are, your luck's over Now I'm taking out the joker like I'm playing poker Huh, can you hang with my commitment? Criminals, the bane of my existence Bat signal in the sky, my bird call Villains itching like poison ivy to see me fall Never try as hard as you want Robin in the sidecar, the perfect one-two punch Knocking out the problem, he said get him, I got him Lock him up, got more bars than Arkham Asylum You can never stop him Put your hands up, bob your head right now Put your hands up, bob your head right now Put your hands up, bob your head right now Say, Pat G's in a house Pat G's in a house Pat G's in a house Fastest man alive, no denying this How he got his powers, freak accident Suit in his rings, bring in the action quick I'm on the ground, GL take the sky Too fast to be seen with the naked eye Central City knows we can stop the rogues Even my pin game is Captain Cold Whoa, I need reinforcements Join forces with Hal Jordan The Green Lantern and a pilot When it comes to willpower, he's the flyest City underwater, you couldn't find it it's protected by the power of his trident Aquaman, my other super friend from outer space is awesome We are not the same, I am the Martian Manhunter Put your hands up, bob your head right now Put your hands up, bob your head right now Put your hands up, bob your head right now Say, Pet G's in a house 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 Big Stone, that boy cold on the field, on the track, no matter the play, he'll put the team on his back. Aliens attack, Star Labs, he was injured bad. Luckily, dad was on the scene. Cyborg, half man, half machine. Unlike anything you've ever seen. Whether Teen Titans, huh, or the Justice League. Ooh, wee, she a bad man with Jammer. Amazonian goddess from Demascara. Came to America, Ares is causing terror. 
Her and Steve Trevor Saved the world together Now I betcha Wonder who this woman is Fierce warrior A.K.A. Diana Prince Round him up with the lasso of truth Matching boots What y'all waiting on? Y'all know what to do Put your hands up Bob your head right now Put your hands up Bob your head right now Put your hands up Bob your head right now Put your hands up Bob your head right now Say Pet G's in a house Pet G's in a house Pet G's in a You gotta put your capes on for this one. You know, throw your tights on and whatnot. <laughs> we gotta save the world. Uh, uh, so smooth, man. Chris Keys, what up? Yeah. Hey. Hey. What do you say, girl? What do you say?